everybody. Welcome to Tapes, 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 a podcast about old movies from our childhood. Our Who Are We? Well, I'm glad you asked. My name is Evan William Crock, and this is my trusty co-also host. I'm Josh. Oh, boy. Is it, <laughs> is it one of those evenings? <laughs> oh, yeah. The beer's coming out. Josh and I are best friends. Josh lives in Chicago. I live here in Portland. We come together once a week to talk about a movie from our glorious childhood. Sometimes collective, sometimes singular. But what really matters is that at the end of this episode, we will give this movie a rating of either Be Kind and Rewind or Eject and Reject, denoting whether it's worth your time or whether it's simply a wreck. Wow. Have we actually ever used that verbiage before? Like, when have we reviewed a movie and called it a wreck? Uh, I mean, spoilers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is this going to be the first one? Maybe. Ooh, I don't know. Stay tuned. <laughs> That's Evan, what... have you got, have you, uh, have you gotten both of your, uh, you haven't gotten both of your COVID doses, right? I, no, I haven't even gotten one. Don't tempt me like that. Do you know? Oh, but you, ha- you have one, you have it scheduled though, right? We yes, we have it scheduled for a two-hour drive northwest of here. Oh man, that was like the soonest and closest we could get. <laughs> we could get it. I had to That's lie right, to Rite Aid to to even get an appointment. I was like, yeah, totally. I live in Warrenton, Oregon. <laughs> like I can get there. Did you, did you ever? Um, did you ever like shoplift when you were in like middle school? No. Like really? No. I would steal so much shit from Rite Aid. <laughs> I'm so glad this is recorded. Well, wait a minute. What's what's? I the, did. Uh, I don't do it anymore. But like in middle school, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna steal no. like Snapple and like king size fucking Kit Kat bars. So you lying to? I'm what I'm trying to say is, oh, I get you it. Lying to Rite Aid is. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Is uh, a okay in my book. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for the permission to lie about my home zip code as being equal this, to stealing Snapple. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Rite Aid, uh, the pharmacy t- to the gods. I don't know what they have a slogan. Uh, Eat. Flesh? That's that's it now. Eat flesh. Okay. <laughs> eat flesh. Eat flesh. <laughs> Rite Aid. Eat flesh. <laughs> All right, Josh, you want to tell the fine folks what we watched this week for Tapes, Tapes, Tapes? I do. We watched Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome. Wait, Mad Max Fury Road? Don't do this. (laughs) It was funny. Uh, You know what? If you watch the wrong movie again... First off, did you actually watch um, Little Nemo? So I, yeah, I, tr- I tried, but I couldn't get, I couldn't get past like seven minutes. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Before we get in, I want your sixty-second uh, review of Little Nemo, since I gave an entire episode on the fly by myself about it. The, so my review of the first five minutes is: I was like, "Oh, this is probably not going to be that bad," and then I was like, "Uh oh, yeah." All right, I'm done. I I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like if I don't, but you, but if there's were, no you, contractual you obligation yeah. to do so, then I will not continue to watch this movie. Dude, you were so guilty over that. I thought you were gonna like watch no. it on a golden TV set or something. Okay, well anyway, that review <laughs> no. is 
pretty ch- pretty pretty on par. I'm a changed man. No, we watched Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, a 1985 Australian post-apocalyptic dystopian action film. We got directed by George Miller of Josh's ruined childhood fame. And, uh, or wait a minute. Is that, <laughs> what? Is that George Romeo? Oh, you're thinking of George Romero. Yeah, That's I'm thinking of George Romero. Different Georges. Oh, but, different George. Uh, <laughs> but they, they share pretty similar amounts of love in my heart for the for the films they created when I was a kid. Well, there you, continue. well there you go. But we've also got uh, racist ass Melly Gibsons and just all around terrible person Mel Gibson. Um, we got Tina Turner as the bad guy in this movie. I was excited when I saw that. Right. I was like, oh my god, Tina. I fucking love Tina. Um, so, needless to say, this was not my pick this week. I've never seen any of the Mad Maxes other than the more recent um, Charlie's Theron um, Fury, Fury Road. Um, yeah. So, tell me about your experience, because I know that you've been, like, teasing these Mad Max movies for a while. Like, tell me about your experience. Oh, I'm sorry. We're not supposed to do that part yet. Fuck. I'm all fucked up. Josh, you want to hit the fine folks with a synopsis of Mad Max Beyond you're all, Thunderdome? Did you say you're all fucked up? Yeah, I'm all fucked up. I'm the one with the beer. What's going on over there? I'm just mainlining... Uh, I can't do punchlines. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Let me save you with a bad synopsis. Thank you. Okay. Please do. Okay, what do we got here? Left for dead in the unforgiven deserts of post-nuclear Australia after defeating Lord Humongous Barbarian Hordes of Bikers in Mad Max 2, 1981. Oh, this is actually saying the, talking about the movie that came before. That's that's kind of nice. Uh, hmm. the, for, the former officer of the tough main force patrol, Max Rokotansky, happens upon Barter Town. Rokon, did I say that right? Rokotansky. I, I didn't even know he had a last name. Yeah, I'm probably saying that wrong. Uh, anyway, he happens upon Barter Town, the remote market town outpost in the middle of the dry wasteland, and the realm of the autocratic uh, queen auntie entity. There, a lethal challenge awaits Max, who in return for his freedom and provisions must engage in a blood match to the death with the grotesque symbiotic being the Master Blaster. However, an unforeseen complication after the brutal fight in the Stronghold's combat arena, the Thunderdome, will banish once more Max into the vast wilderness. Yeah, he gets fucking sent out to the desert. He gets, uh, what's it called? Um... Gulag. Gulagged, yeah. Only to discover the peaceful haven of the Lost Tribe, a community of maroon children who survive on their own, waiting for the arrival of the legendary Captain Walker. Is Mad Max indeed their savior? Can he overthrow Bartertown's ruthless tyranny? That was by Nick. You know, Nick did a good job. I don't know if maybe it's because it was slightly longer than the other ones, but it was actually like, yeah, that, that... is pretty much no, the whole movie. Um, I mean, I'm looking at other ones that are the same length, and I just had a good feeling about it. But, yeah. yeah. Oh. So Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome uh, is the third installment in the Mad Max series. Um, I, like I was saying, I've never seen any of them beyond Mad Max Fury Road with Charlize Theron and Tom Hardy. Um, 
and great movie. You know, my which yeah, it's a fantastic movie. And like, I don't know if it's just because my parents maybe didn't watch this movie, or you know, I know we weren't an anti Mel Gibson household back then because we clearly Lethal Weapon was like huge. But what was your relationship with this movie? Uh, well, I had a very big relationship to the Mad Max series in general. I mean, I've made it no, I've made it very clear over the course of this podcast that, uh, kind of those late nineties apocalypse movies are my jam. Yeah. Water kind world. Of what I, kind of. Well, this, is, this isn't late nineties though. This is 85. Oh, it's earlier. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I wasn't alive when this movie came out, so I was seeing it after the fact. So oh, yeah, I consider okay, gotcha. it a '90s movie, I guess. <laughs> uh, you had the same anyway, thing with Bambi. I remember where you were like, "I thought it yeah, came out when I was a kid," and well, I was like, "Dude, it's from like 1945." Well, well, I saw it when I was a kid before right. I could understand when movies came. When movies came out, so yes. how could I know better? It's just a anyway, funny like thing that you have where you're like these are all from the late 90s and i'm like josh (laughs) so 1998's mad max 3 beyond thunderdome uh and you know for anybody that doesn't follow doesn't really know what the mad max series are it's three movies all starring mel gibson that is about it starts with essentially nuclear holocaust of the earth and it all kind of takes place in australia but we follow right. Max uh, Max Mel Gibson's character. He's he he was a cop when the world kind of went under. And the first movie is like civilization is still like like it just happened really recently. So there's still some technology. There's still some stuff. But people are starting to like get a little scrappy and survivally and stuff. And then in Mad Max two, <laughs> we start to get like really sci-fi. In that, like, okay, now human beings are starting to get a little, uh, a little, a little, I don't know how to say it, but it, it gets, a, it, it starts like to tribal. go back to a little, a little tribal, like tribal, but in a really yeah. like death metal-y way. Everybody's yeah, like wearing okay. mohawks and like strap-ons and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it might as well, uh, and and like forming their own little like alliances and towns and like fighting over resources. But Mad Max Three is where we really start getting into the fantasy of what happens if the world kind of has to go on knowing that it will never go back to the way that it was. Yeah. And like human beings are now like being born into this world where like shit's going on and shit's weird. Uh, But all that to say, these movies were a huge part of my childhood. Hmm. Um, Like all three of them or this one more than like, I mean, you've you've like out sequeled yourself. I know that we typically just go to like the sequel. But this time you were like, no, I'm going to the trequel. Well, this, so all three Mad Max movies are pretty different. The first Mad Max movie is a pretty solid, straight action movie. Uh And it doesn't really have the aesthetic that you would expect in like an apocalypse movie. And to tell you the truth, I probably, I watched that one the least. I don't really remember it that well. There's some moments in it that are very like memorable. Yeah. But I don't really... I don't really know that movie very well. Mad Max 2 I'm very familiar with because it starts to get into that like wasteland apocalyptic thing and the story's really fun 
and it just it's a little out there. Uh, I definitely watched it a lot, but I would say that I watched this one the most, mm. probably because it was a little bit more accessible. I feel like it was on TV a lot, and it was a little more kid-friendly. Like, we'll get into what this movie's like, but there's some yeah. moments in it that feel very, like, they're trying to appeal to a larger audience. Yeah, with this one. I mean, th- this is before we get into the second half, where we talk about, like, what it was like to watch it. But I, I was curious while watching it, I was like... I don't think I've ever known Mad Max to be like a kid-friendly thing. And like the second half of this movie is all kids. Like it's like, holy crap, here's all the kids. Like are the first two like that at all? No, they are not. The first one is pretty serious. The second one is, what can I compare it to? It's, it doesn't really, it, it has that campiness, that 80s kind of action movies that are in the fantasy world might have. Yeah. But it tries by all accounts to be a serious movie, a serious movie about watching people struggle in their environments. So give a brief synopsis of it. You're essentially following Max who he kind of comes upon a little town, like a little area where like people are trying to survive. And he's, he's not really like a trustworthy character. So they're deciding whether or not to trust him. And there's like a faction that's coming in. That's trying to steal their resources Essentially, it, it ends with them trying to escape and fight and do the big car chase that always happens in one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's more, it's a little bit more bloody and a little bit more serious. Hmm. Um, where the, this third third one kind of feels in the realm of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where they were like, okay, this franchise is huge. Right. How do we get more people to see it? Which is, at the time, like, let's make it family friendly. Mm, yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I, I I had a feeling like just watching the third one, you know, without ever having... I've never even seen, like, scenes from Mad Max or Mad Max 2. Like, I couldn't tell you what, what was going on. Uh, or, you know, I couldn't... Yeah. I would never be able to relate that. But, like, with Mad Max 3, I definitely could tell, like, oh, okay, the Thunderdome, I know that I've seen that. And, like, I know that... I guess they do it at Burning Man... They'll do like a, yeah. a Thunderdome like thing with like foam pads and, you know, people can hit each other. Um, There's a lot of aesthetic things from this movie that really Rick and uh, Morty have evolved outside of the movie. Oh, yeah. They, they did a. Oh, yeah, that's right. They did an episode that was very. It Mad seemed Max like very Mad Max 3. I mean, I don't know if it's like the other two, but it like with especially with, you know, Morty getting the arm and like fighting well, in the, the big yeah. cage like. The Thunderdome and the expression two men enter, one man leave, and all those things, they just they exist <laughs> everywhere in pop culture. It's Yeah. So I guess that's that's where I had some familiarity with it, but um But yeah, other than that, I really did not did not have much walking into into this movie. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got I mean, in terms of like production back history, it, it cost them more to make this one, but it actually didn't make as much money as the other two. Um it's not surprising. Relatively well received. I think it has like an eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. The first one has a ninety percent, the second one has a ninety three percent, and then the more recent Fury Road has a ninety seven percent. So, you know, arguably a lot of these movies are like critically pretty well received. Um, which is, you know, is, is kind of interesting. And then of course the elephant in the room, like racist ass Melly Gibson's, um, this one, it's almost 
easier to like ignore that he's in this movie as compared to yeah, like Lethal Weapon. He, well, he doesn't really have as he doesn't really feel like he has as a, as as like impactful of a role in this one. Like the right. plot is kind of happening around him. Yeah, he's and he doesn't even really get to do very much like charming Harrison Fordism kind of you know actiony stuff. It's almost like you or I could be in this role, and it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, but but you know, but it is like it is difficult to ignore like him because he's <laughs> this terrible person. I remember that was something that Morgan and I were talking about. Like, but it was it was on a voice. I mean, in those days in the nineties, like everybody just accepted it, him as he's the. Hollywood star. He's the biggest he was everything. Hollywood star he was ever. Braveheart and uh, all those movies that he did. The, like, he the was interesting, the biggest name. The interesting fact that we learned this was actually before we. This was back when we were doing our. When I was torturing you with all of the Lethal Weapon movies, is we learned yeah. that his divorce, like he had a divorce around the time of one of the Lethal Weapon movies, um, that was actually the biggest settlement in history in Hollywood at the time. The his ex wife got four hundred million dollars, so like my guy was like almost a billionaire, like in the nineties, and that's huge. Like just imagine that. Like that's the level of stardom that we're talking about, and like he still gets work. He still he did Daddy's Home, and I know he's done a couple yeah, more movies here and there. Hollywood is Hollywood's really giving him a break. They they're uh, giving him awards again and giving him like big movies. Like uh, my theory, because Morgan, we were talking about it. Like why do why does he still get work? And uh, my theory about like cancel culture and stuff is like I don't know if it works when the person is sexy, well, right? Well, I think. I think that applies to everything that just attractive we, people get a fucking away from every, get away with everything. I know, but like fuck that. <laughs> like that sucks so much. No, it's like bullshit. so many people are like Louis CK, fuck him, like fat ugly piece of shit, <laughs> which to for the record, I agree with like he was he was an asshole and he, you know, misused his power. But like Matt, like almost mad almost called him Mad Max. But like Mel Gibson is like actively racist and anti-semitic and homophobic like why are we still all right there he is i guess he was really big in the 90s and it's been long enough that we might not get mad at the hearing his name so here's an oscar nom 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 um, all right, we should get into our current experience of watching Mad Max 3. But before we do that, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more tapes, tapes, tapes after this. Hey, y'all. If you can believe it, Tapes, Tapes, Tapes is in its fourth season. The boys are once again here to help decide the fate of movies stuck in cinematic purgatory. Oh, no, the suspense! Remember, you can follow Tapes, Tapes, Tapes on Instagram to stay in touch with the show between episodes. You'll find announcements, surveys, and more. If you'd like to take your relationship with the show to the next level and get your credit card involved, find the show on Patreon, too. The boys thank you for your support. All right, now it's time to get back to the show. You, If we had the choice, would you be Blaster or would you be Matt? 
blast. Oh, of course I'm blaster. But wouldn't it be funny if you were riding around on my shoulders, but you were just like <laughs> a foot and a half tall? I've already I already talked to more like while we were watching the movie, I was like, one year your dad should be master and I should be blaster, and we should do <laughs> like a cosplay. <laughs> I think you know that's the that's a, the character set that I feel like is just in every pop culture. Like Master Blaster is oh, everywhere. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. There's a I know there's a Mortal Kombat character where that's like that's the gimmick is like there's a little person riding on the big strong person. Yeah. Um. Anyway, hey everybody, welcome back, Mad Max Three: Beyond Thunderdome. Dude, when the when the synth soundtrack started. I was hype. When Tina Turner was hollering at the beginning, I was real excited. Well, maybe we should get into this uh, in an unorthodox way where maybe we should just talk about the music before we even start talking about the movie because I want to talk about the music. Dude, the music like almost is this whole movie. (laughs) I love, I mean, Tina Turner, for people who are... What is she doing in this movie? I don't know what she's doing in this movie, but I'm I'm okay with it. Like, there's something about the 80s soundtrack, and, you know, we Morgan and I were reflecting on this while we were watching it. Like, it just makes us happy. Like, those sounds just, like, make us happy and excited. Yeah, and I, I think that's what... Because I'm watching this movie and I'm thinking that it should be an R-rated movie, but it's not. Or if it is, then it definitely doesn't feel like one. And the soundtrack really, it really lightens the movie and makes it feel like more of an adventure than a dark action movie. It's almost incongruous. Like, there were definitely times where I was listening to the music and I was like, this doesn't make sense. Like, this is not how you would score a movie these days. Yeah. You know, like, did you have that sensation too? Well, I mean, uh, a little bit. Uh, In some parts, no. I think the Barter Town theme song is one of my favorite original songs written for a movie. Mm. I just love it. It's the the when they're in Barter Town and it's just like two banging things. It's like, bow, 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 bow. Where it's just like somebody hitting like a, do you know what I'm talking about? No, because I didn't grow up with the movie, so like the the songs are go not... back and listen to it. It's so okay. fucking good. No, I trust it's... you. I mean, I, I remember that the movie was good. I just can't remember the themes off the top of my head. Like when we got to the second half of the movie with the kids. Oh yeah, uh, I definitely felt that. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of a weird way to talk about this movie. Like, hey, the music was great. The second half of the movie and onwards is terrible. <laughs> like, well, I well let's okay. Why I don't we, why don't we get into our well? Our no, no, okay. Like, my, what, my 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 question is for you. When, sure. when Anytime we're we're kind of going back to these movies from our childhood, like did it trigger your nostalgia bone? Like were were you like in it to win it? You know, did it did it bring up all the old memories? Well, if I'm gonna, yeah, if I'm gonna jump into to how this how this one made me feel, uh, I n- nostalgia boned real hard for this movie. Yeah, it's just one of those movies where I watch it, and when I start watching it, I feel like I kind of understand myself, uh, like all over again. Oh, that's like, just so about, interesting. Like, these are the thi- 
these are the things that I've watched as a kid that kind of inspire me and in how I think and how my aesthetics are. And I was watching this and kind of going like, yeah, yeah, this one makes sense. This one makes sense to why it's why it's part of why it's part of me and part of who I am. Yeah, uh, I hadn't watched this in a very long time, though. I, we didn't really we didn't we kind of glossed over that one. But uh, yeah, how long had it been since time. you've seen it? Do you at think? least at least three or four years which may not seem that long in the scope of like this podcast but for a movie like this that that feels like a long time i definitely haven't seen it since um fury road has come out yeah and that one came out in 2017 2015 i can't remember but I was so fucking. I, I my my my. I I essentially had a smile that didn't leave for about half the movie. Mm-hmm. Like all of Barter Town, yeah, is just so fucking. I just love it so much. Yeah, and the thing that that really makes this movie for me is how how insane George Miller and this other person was is at, at putting like details that don't even really need to be there. Like it's <laughs> what? just. Well, just like this movie is so detailed, yeah. And I mean, like, I know what you mean. Like, I actually, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but just now when you said like details that are so specific but they don't need to be there, I'm like, why was the saxophone player blind? But like, and wearing like, like one of those, the like a gi or whatever it is that like sumo wrestlers wear. Yeah, but it, but it is really like cool in that way. Like especially Barter Town, like there are so many, and there's, there's like a way that they speak. There's the way that like Master Blaster orders people around, um, and and the way that yeah. Tina Turner just is. Like everything is so like cool and kind of sexy. Like I can definitely see where your inspiration came from. Not that you dress like a Burning Man person but like but but you you, you can know. you, you kind of get it you can, yeah definitely i think it i think it's just the the world building aspect of this movie and how well the characters feel seamless inside of it and all of their motivations are sound yeah and make sense that like the the, the and the story like kind of like flows into it very cleanly like <laughs> can Max, you burp more while talking in this episode i probably could don't if that's a request it's not but but the way that this the story cleanly moves from here's somebody that has been robbed so they go to the trading town and they get wrapped up into like a political coup if you will right right uh, yeah. and it turns into like this marvelous like f- epic fight kind of thing yeah uh like i feel like there's no there's no other way that i would write this world that they built like there's no other story to be told that would be like as interesting like it's just so good so i 100 percent agree with you and then the second half of the movie begins oh once the kids show up i'm like i'm fucking i don't like <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing i've never because and I, I remarked this while we were watching it i was like i've never experienced because the first half of the movie I really enjoyed all the things you just said, like specificity, world building. It's clearly iconic. Like, you know, we talked about before how Rick and Morty has done a parody of it. You know, Thunderdome is in this like common colloquial thing. Like there's definitely a lot of things that came from the first half of this movie. 
And then Mel Gibson gets gulagged at the end of this like incredible fight sequence. It's like very imaginative and inventive and like definitely feels like it's a great fight. Scene. It's such a great fight scene that it's like this belongs at the end of a movie. But I was, you know what? I was intrigued I'm because gonna... I was like, we're only 50 minutes into the movie and like we're already getting this like crazy, interesting fight scene. Like, what's going to happen? But it's still happen? also well paced, which is the beautiful part. At least, at least for Bartertown. Yeah, and up, I up just... until that point. But then when he gets gulagged, and like for people who don't know what we're talking about, he basically gets banished. And, like, he gets put on a horse, and then the horse is told to walk in just any random direction in the desert. And then he gets rescued can we, by... Can we just talk... I just oh, want to sorry. talk about the gulag for just a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because if we're talking about ex- strenuous details, they make a wheel yes, made the, out of the, steel. Uh, break the deal, face the wheel. Break the deal, face the wheel, break right? Break the deal, Isn't face the... Like, I love that every... Law has essentially a rhyming couplet for it. Yes, yes. Like in, in Barter to Town, like two men enter, one man leave, or break the deal, spin the wheel. And on, I know what's on the wheel too. It's a wheel that you have to spin it if you like you fuck up, I guess. Right. And the options, if I, I'm going to see if I can remember them. So the options on the wheel are death, hard labor, uh, auntie's choice, Tina Turner, amputation. Yeah, amputation, forfeit goods, uh, um, uh, oh, um, the, what, Underworld? Oh, that, cause that's where the city runs on, uh, like oh, methane. yeah, right, where they, they uh, work with the pigs, and, yeah, yeah. Essentially, life imprisonment and gulag. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's just like yeah. you, this. This is how you deal with things in this post-apocalyptic world. You play Wheel of Fortune, and one of them is, <laughs> well, we could just kill him, but instead we're gonna give him a horse with water and a hat. Yeah, this like a this gigantic helmet. paper mache hat, <laughs> yeah. and then send him off in the desert. Which is, I guess, like that's how they have fun. Like we're not gonna kill him. We're gonna give him a chance to live. I guess right. But then, so then that happens, so then he does get gulagged, and you know, at that point, I'm still in, right? Like, I'm still watching the movie. And then when he gets rescued by the kids, and he gets taken to, like, this oasis, and they do the thing that you mentioned in, like, in in the synopsis where they're, like, they're waiting for this legendary captain to come, and, and like, I don't know, man, it just was so cheap, and so, like, I hated the way that the kids were speaking. You know, they they did this thing that I, I hate whenever they do this in, like, post-apocalyptic things where they're like, me sub not speaking English good good. Me remember the long time ago. And it's like, dude, nobody else in the world talks like that. So why do you? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Well, it's and supposed it to be that terrible. they don't even remember how to speak because they're, they were all kids. We be doing uh, the membrane, but you yeah, be I, having to listen to the good good because you be remembering for the future well, time time. <laughs> I'm like, I okay, mean, this, this, I'm done. This is a part. This is a part of the movie that I've I've seen this the sequence like hundreds of times, and this was the first time that I kind of stopped just to like to put aside my disdain for the scene because I think it really breaks up the flow and the feel and the tone of the movie to kind of make it more 
family fun and i think it just kind of ruins it but yeah i will say that i appreciated it more than i ever have watching it this time why <laughs> because of how i'm like offended of, why so, <laughs> no because because this, so i i have a sneaking suspicion and of course we could look this up online and confirm or deny it but here we are that this movie is a deal between the like the the um who what is it called like the the like century fox or wb the studio Uh and like the writers and directors because the second movie wasn't like this at all where it had like the kids and it was all family friendly and then this movie comes along and i would be willing to bet that there was some type of agreement where it's like, okay, we need this movie to really bring in a lot of money. So we got to make it family friendly. So they had to change things in it and add things. And it ended up kind of spoiling it. But at the same time, I'm watching the scene with all these kids and there's a lot of meticulous detail that went into, I mean, how they speak, how, Ugh. how these kids exist, yeah. their, their lore, that they've developed about being like kind of like misinformation of like being yeah, they've a kid interpreted and technology they've things. interpreted the like the technology and and the and the whatever was left behind from society they've interpreted it in this different way like i mean i it's all very like holistic yeah i i hear what you're saying but i just feel like they didn't do a good job like they they did I, they did work hard at that but they, they didn't do a good job of it. Well, I okay. So I'll argue that if if you would have took this movie like like a worm and cut it in half, and then each of those worms, now that they're separated, kind of like grow into their own worms and do their own things, I would be okay with both of them separate. I think the first half That's of this movie is kind of an interesting idea. Is, actually, is great, and I think that yeah. the second half of this movie is also great but it just doesn't belong in this movie i would i would be interested if it if it was just sold to me as like here's a romp adventure where it's kind of like hook yeah, but yeah a yeah. little bit more dark yeah it's like hook or um i don't know if you ever watched the movie the time machine but it came out it oh. came out in the aughts and it kind of had a similar deal where like this guy yeah i remember traveled that. into the future and there was there was a civilization of people who, yeah, they were like, kind of, you know, they in, they interpreted what. I remember in that movie. I only remember one scene when he's like traveling forward in time and he's taking little stops. And for some reason, he stops in the future, and it's like not too far off from our own, but it's just everybody wearing like techno clothing and everybody's jogging. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. No, I don't remember that part. It's just <laughs> like that that's how funny. you show the future. Everybody's jogging Everybody around. Everybody exercises and like, in the future. <laughs> but then, like the next time he comes out, like the moon explodes. It's all weird. Yeah, but like that. I mean that that's an interesting idea. If you were to take the the second half of this movie, to me, it's. I mean, you can't though because it is the same movie. And and for me, yeah. it was like the juxtaposition of how strong the first half was um versus the second half and like and and how to me it was like obvious what they were doing what they were doing is they were going well okay how do franchises survive you got to get the kids involved 
okay, yeah. we've got to get the kids involved. And like, that's all that, that's all the thought that went into that. Um, and I will say that like, once they went back to Barter Town, they had some pretty decent fight sequences and like, it was it was really exciting. The ch- like it kind of yeah. came around again. At, it comes it comes back to what it's good at. It comes back to like the climax of the movie. It just it, it came at the expense of like I guess we have to go to this waterfall world for a little while. <laughs> like okay, let's just suffer through this until we get to it. Um, do you do you recall any favorite moments from the movie? Oh, I have so many favorite moments. Well, the the first that so I've always um quoted and really loved pretty much anything that Tina Turner says in this movie yes. is so iconic. I think my favorite scene that she has is when uh the at least my favorite moment is two there I have two. One is when uh mel gibson is about to he chooses not to kill blaster in the ring and everybody's like two men enter one man leave and of course tina turner has her like queenly spot that she kind of observes everything from and everybody's chanting like two men enter one man leave and she just is like looking around and like she's getting more and more tense and then she just starts screaming and leaps into the arena (laughs) and she's still screaming and she's like kind of like shaking her hands at people and she's like ah what's this what's this do you think i know the law i wrote the law yes that was an amazing but moment. Yeah, I love that, that moment. I I think my most the most memorable part for me is the moment where uh, Blaster puts down a or Master puts down an embargo, and he forces Tina Turner like to uh, on the loudspeaker say, "Who run Barter Town? <laughs> Master Blaster runs Barter Town." <laughs> oh man, yeah, for- it's just. For for me, the favorite moment is, is is just the fight scene. Like that that is for me where I I really started watching the movie. I mean, I I was watching it before, and oh, I was, when they're in Thunderdome, the, yeah, when they're when they begin kind of like their their Thunderdome fight. Um, before then, I was kind of like, oh, this looks dated and weird, and Mel Gibson's hair is terrible, and like <laughs> like okay, let's talk about Mel Gibson's hair because it's iconic. It's long but it's buzzed on top yeah he is it's the world's worst apocalyptic mullet you mean (laughs) no it's genius because it's like i hated it i really hated unkempt (laughs) and stringy and fluffy on the sides but on top he's got like a crew cut (laughs) i mean i i get it like it it was very utilitarian it made sense in the world was it yeah yeah because he's like well i don't want why did he need the long hair i don't want it to get long on top because then somebody might like grab it i don't know it 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 it, then but not grab the sides no he can he can protect the sides he just can't protect the top he'll just do that whistle sound at him and they won't want to grab it oh my god anyway all right we need to we need to rate we need to rate this movie. I'm sorry to, sorry to say, but we need to do the the one thing that the people want. I'm not sorry about it, Josh. Do you give Mad Max Three Beyond Thunderdome? What a great name, by the way. We didn't talk about that at all, but like every time I say oh it in that voice, I'm Brent. like, dude, perfect. 
the branding for this movie is off the fucking book. The title, the poster, the music. It yes, Ugh. style it has in spades for sure. But Josh, do you give Mad Max Three Beyond Thunderdome a be kind and rewind or an eject and reject, baby? This is a very easy be kind and rewind for me. Not only wow. because okay. of of the nostalgia, baby. Not only because of that, because I think stylistically, it is just. George George Miller's operating in a very, very particular world world building uh, like idea, and I think he does it masterfully. Like if you would have taken this movie and give put it on, like did it today, it would be different. But it, I think it would still be like so so fucking good. Hmm. Yep. Well, I'm not gonna give it that. <laughs> I'm gonna give it. And eject and reject. I, I think that, you know, you bring up a good point. If if you were to look at this movie as two separate things, maybe that would have saved it. But for me... Just get away from that part with the kids. Just get away from the part with the kids or, like, edit it down. I mean, you know me. I, I, like, I like a 90-minute movie anyway. Like, this movie doesn't really need to be two hours long. They just, like, put in Waterfall World for no reason. Um... <laughs> I mean, they could have they could have even done like a six string samurai moment where like racist ass Melly Gibson's goes out and finds a kid, and then like he goes back to Barter Town. Like they if they could have included a kid in in less of a of a like preachy or I don't know if preachy's the right word, but like well they could have done it in less of a desperate way. Well, the thing is, is that they did this in the second Mad Max movie, and they did it better where there's there's a character that's like this kid that's like probably like seven or eight years old but he's a feral he's almost like a feral animal and so it is like six string samurai (laughs) because that's kind of what yeah but and it does it kid never talks and he throws a metal boomerang that like slices people's fingers off and that's the cool hook and like mel gibson kind of befriends him by giving him like a music box so you kind of have that element of like here's a child born into this like how do i um how do i relate to it yeah. but the problem is is this they could have done that they could have gotten away with the settings that they made for this movie where it's like here's this oasis of abandoned kids and they could have done it well i just think because it was they need they felt like they had to make it like a family friendly like lighthearted thing that's what ruined it like it completely mm. shifted the tone and the energy of the movie away from what it was good at and it ruined it but if you kept it like kind of dark and like rough yeah and and all those things i think it could have it, it would have worked so well hmm. well in in any case do you have a recommendation for what people should watch instead of this movie i mean mine mine is pretty obvious <laughs> fury road yeah fury road is great like and i I had never, I wasn't nostalgic for the old movies, but it somehow like captured it, captured kind of the spirit of these movies. And um, I feel like did a really good job of like, I mean, it had a similar kind of thing too, where like the second half of the movie, they go and they find these women, these like fertile women. And that's supposed to be kind of like symbolic and like, you know, they're maybe not the coolest characters ever, like in kind of the first establishing scenes of the movie but like it all makes sense it all is working towards like one cohesive vision 
Yeah, yeah. The themes that I kind of get from all the Mad Max movies is that it's eventually about preserving humanity. Right. And so in Fury Road, it was, you know, this idea of kind of kind of feminism and like this yeah. sense of Earth. Yeah. And like growth that they're trying to save. In this movie, it's kind of uh, like uh, innocence and childhood. In the second movie, it has to do with that, too. Um, and hmm. they, they just, he did it the best with Fury Road, I think. Yeah. Didn't I make a joke in like the second episode of why don't we call this Tina Turner's you, magic mystery yeah, in the, shovel Yeah, in the or first episode you called it, why don't we call this Tina Turner's magical podcast about old movies? Yeah, you this did is, I give it the Tina Turner's magical, <laughs> magical podcast about old movies award. Oh, geez. Full circle. <laughs> Well, it only took three years. All right, everybody. Well, thank you very much for listening. All audio mixing and original music is done by yours truly, Evan William Crockett. Our artwork is done by Kersey Barrett-Torme. You can find her on Instagram at madebykersey, K-E-R-S-E-Y. And this podcast is produced by the wonderful, ineffable Josh Bowen. You want to tell the fine folks so they can support the podcast? Yeah, if you like the podcast, uh, you can get in your little... Uh, biplane with your son and uh, fly over us and drop <laughs> off uh, just jump into our car mm-hmm. uh, we've got pl- uh, our Patreon which is what we call the, the vehicle <laughs> has uh, lots of rewards and things that you might like in it to help that would help you uh, and other other listeners and help us like make more of the podcast. So if you want to get in that car and steal it and drive it into Barter Town to show other people, uh, you that car is called uh, www.patreon.com slash tapes, tapes, tapes. Uh, and, um, uh, and it runs on uh, pig Master farts. Master Blaster runs Martyr, Barter Town. Yeah, <laughs> runs on pig farts. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Guys, gals, non-binary pals, we love you. We mean it. Have a great night. Bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.